As a culture, we're so afraid of rejection that we interpret resistance as rejection. And so anytime we face a wall, we think that means that we're doing something wrong or you know, we're gonna look foolish. And I just have to cling to the scriptures that say, those who call on the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. And so you ask me, what is the product of a prayerless life? You were missing out on miracles that God wants to provide for you, but because you insist on trying to do it in your own strength and through your own strategy. You are robbing yourself from supernatural blessings that God has for you, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your business, your career, your family, your marriage. God has a solution to that problem. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples. Today, I am thrilled to have Jared Ellis on the podcast. Jared and I have known each other for years back when he uh, served at Elevation Church for a while, but Jared is currently the lead pastor of E2 Church in Elk Grove, California. Uh, he's the author of a couple books, but the most recent being How to Become a Prayer Warrior. He's a worship leader, songwriter, CrossFit athlete. The man does it all. Welcome to the show, Jared. Man, thanks so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. And uh, yeah, it's just been so cool to see how God's used you in so many ways and so many different um, spheres of influence. And just just an honor to get to chat with you this morning. And um, yeah, excited for the conversation we're jumping into. I mean, I know we'll probably spend most of our time talking about about prayer, which is a good thing, but I am going to yeah. ask you some CrossFit questions at the end. So Let's just, just, just be go. ready. Yeah. Um, well, I love the title of your new book, How to Become a Prayer Warrior. And when I think of a prayer warrior, the first person that comes to my mind is my grandmother. Mm. And there was no one, I don't think there's anyone I've ever known who prayed like my grandmother prayed. Mm. I'm curious, who is that person in your mind? Did you have somebody like in your formative years that really set or marked you by the way that they prayed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what the first chapter is all about. I'd say probably the whole book is is a testament to my mom because I had a praying mama. And I'm sure that all of us can relate at some level to somebody in our lives that we knew if we asked them to pray, they'll drop everything. They'll stop in the middle of a supermarket and they will get to praying, even if it's uncomfortable and it's awkward. Um, but that was that was my mom. I mean, I grew up in church and you know, I was a church kid. Like I love church. You know, I know the VeggieTales theme song backwards and forwards, you know, like I <laughs> I'm I am a church kid. Um and when I was eleven, I I just I never expected that, you know, growing up in a Christian household serving God, um, I would lose my dad to cancer. And so that was really life altering for me. And, and through my teen years, you know, I just walked away from God, got involved in all sorts of depravity. I got it out of my system early on. You know, I'm one of those all in all the time people. And so, um, but all throughout those years, you know, after losing her husband, watching her kids wrestle with fatherlessness and walking through so many of the things that she walked through, you know, my mom never stopped praying. I remember the Sunday after my dad passed, she was in church leading worship. Mm. And, you know, there was always this consistency with her commitment to the Lord that when God really got a hold of my life when I was 16, um, I had to make a decision. You know, I felt God calling me to give my life to Him, to go into ministry, but I, I needed to be able to look at somebody 
that I could say was able to do this with integrity for the long haul. And, you know, I looked at a lot of people, a lot of church leaders and a lot of Christians who had failed me, but there was one person who never stopped praying, who never stopped seeking the Lord. And that was my mom. And it was because of her prayers that my life completely flipped upside down. And so, you know, that's really the basis of this book. My life is the product of somebody else's prayer life. And I believe that there's somebody in your life that is going to be the product of yours if you would take your prayer life seriously. Um, not just your own spiritual growth, but there are other people and situations and circumstances that God has called you to be an intercessor for, to pray into. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can you can change somebody's life. You could change the world through the power of prayer. It may not be as public as preaching or you know social media platforms, but it's the power that we have as Christians. Wow. I, you know, I, I've heard that a lot in church that, you know, you might be, the byproduct of someone else's prayer. But when I really start to think about that in my own life and the prayers that my grandmother must've been praying for me, the prayers that my parents prayed for me growing up, you really do see the power and effectiveness of prayer. But what I find so interesting is I don't think I can pray prayers a lot of times that are powerful Mm -hmm. or effective. In fact, I was just convicted of this recently. Uh, I've been praying about something for a while and I felt like the Lord just convicted me saying, do you really believe I can do this? Or are you just going through the motions? Right. I'm curious, how do you speak to that when you know we read in the scriptures about Elijah was a man just like us? Um, but a lot of times I don't think I'm anywhere near to the level of Elijah in the terms of the power of my prayer life. Can you yep. can you talk to to the person who might be in that same place? Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm in that place. I mean, and I'm a <laughs> pastor. I think if we're honest with ourselves, like rarely ever. And I've been I've been praying since I was 16. You know, I've, I, prayer has always been a huge part of my life. Um, but the reality is is that. I don't always feel like a prayer warrior. Most of the time, I don't feel like a prayer warrior. I think that um, that's why I wrote this book is because there are so many of us out there that when we read the scriptures, we read the Bible, you know, we feel like, man, my prayer life needs to look like that. Like, I love the story of Ananias in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where, you know, God speaks to Ananias and tells him there's going to be this guy named Saul who's blinded. You're going to find him on a street called Straight. I want you to go there, lay hands on him and pray for him. And I'm going to use him to change the world. We read about this one moment in Ananias' prayer life where God like reveals himself to him. But we don't read about the countless times of prayer that Ananias had experienced without hearing God's voice and without feeling like he had a spiritual experience. The Bible says he was a man of devout prayer who feared the Lord. And yet we read, you know, kind of like the Instagram highlight reel moment of his life where he encounters the voice of the Lord. But there's a whole history with God that the Bible intimates at that he doesn't. And we don't know what that looks like. And I think We've made prayer because we, you know, we revere and we honor these people who are anointed and they're powerful and they're eloquent. Um, we think that that's what makes a powerful prayer life. But what I found is that 
prayer is really practical. It's, it's a lot more like sowing seed than it is reaping a harvest. When you pray, you're sowing seeds of faith into the ground, believing that God not only hears you, but that in his timing, he will answer. When we treat prayer as if, you know, I've got to have this unbelievable experience every single time. And I've got to be, you know, floating in the air and, and, you know, getting words from God. It's like, I really think we do people a disservice when we talk about prayer like that, because, you know, while there are times where God speaks to me in prayer, reveals himself, most of the time, my prayers in the morning are very simple. They're practical. They're abiding by these principles that I lay out in the book of, you know, here's ways that you can approach God at different forms of prayer. And it's, it's kind of like a marriage, you know, you're going to have date nights that are exciting. You're going to have moments that are, you know, mountaintop experiences, but most of marriage is the day in day out monotony of doing life together. And that's really what prayer is all about. It's about conversation with God. And so I think we have to redefine what successful prayer is supposed to look like. You're a prayer warrior, not because you feel like you are, but because you're consistent and committed to the reality that prayer makes a difference. Yeah. And whether I feel it or not, I am going to press in and believe that when I pray, God hears my prayers. So I've heard you say before that we can get so caught up in overcomplicating prayer that we end up underutilizing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can you talk about what that actually looks like sometimes? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I know... That happens to me all the time, even in my routines of prayer and my rhythms, that I can get so caught up in it needs to feel like it did that one time where prayer was really powerful, or I need to go through these motions and you know say these things and sing these songs. And at the end of the day, prayer is a conversation with God. And if you're having a conversation with somebody that you love, that you know, you have history with, um, the less awkward that conversation is going to be, the less pressure to perform in that conversation. We're performative with people that we don't have a deep level of intimacy with. And so when we come to God and we feel the need to perform, it's usually a sign and a symptom that we haven't developed that place of vulnerability and connection because God isn't looking for performance. He's looking for the authentic uh, conversation from us. And, you know, even in the powerful prayers we see throughout the scriptures, God is a very um, up close and personal God, the way he speaks with David, the way he talks even with Job, um, the way he speaks to Elijah. There's, There's a real of course, there's a reverence that we have when we come to God. We honor his presence. We honor who he is. But he gave us his spirit because he wanted to dwell with us, not to live in tents and in tabernacles where we had to go through these rituals and motions. And so I think when we overcomplicate prayer, we end up coming into prayer already feeling shame. And we don't want to approach anything that makes us feel shameful. So then what happens is we ignore the place of prayer altogether. And, you know, before we know it, we've spent weeks, maybe months without talking to God because we're in our own head, thinking that God expects this certain thing from us. And the only thing that's been holding us back, it's kind of like the story of the prodigal son. The thing that held him back from running home sooner was his own internal thought process that I don't belong there. You know, my father's not going to accept me. You know, I've done too much. I've been too bad. And, you know, when he finally decides to get it together and to come back home, 
he realizes that his father was ready to run towards him the entire time. And so I hope that that's an encouragement to somebody out there that feels like, you know, I, I'm not praying because I feel shameful when I get there or I'm complicating it. Then God just wants to spend time with you. You know, drop the drama and run to him because he's running to you. Yeah, I, I love that too. And that correlation between performance and intimacy, because that that's so true. The people that you know and love the best, you let your guard down with. And, and I think so many, I remember God convicted me one time saying, you feel like all your prayers have to be neat and tidy prayers. Like I want your messy prayers because I think those are the real those are the real ones. On. If you're teaching your church and you're walking them through how to pray, what are some just foundational guidelines you give them to set up a rhythm and a discipline of prayer? And maybe what does that even look like in your own life? Yeah. I mean, so I think even throughout the book, like I talk about the principles of prayer, you know, the five principles that that lead to a place of vibrancy in our connection with God. Um, there's devotion, there's fellowship, there's faith, there's consistency, perseverance. Um, there's there's got to be, I think before we even get to the practicality around prayer, where I want to start with in my church and coaching people through prayer is how you view that moment of engaging with God. What are you coming in with? What is the baggage and the weight that you're bringing into that place? Because, you know, kind of to revisit what we were just talking about, most people are approaching God with shame, guilt, and therefore their prayers sound like that. You know, when they come into God's presence, when they pray, it's like already, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, like I, I know I haven't been here in a long time. And it's like you're immediately coming in with guilt and with shame. And the Bible says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in time of need. We can come boldly because we know we're covered by the blood of Jesus. He loves us. He's for us. He wants to spend time with us. And so when we come into prayer self-aware more than we come in God-aware, we come in with this self-consciousness of our sin, of our mistakes, of our inconsistencies, of our lack of discipline. And that taints the prayer experience because I'm more aware of me than I am aware of him. Prayer is a lot less about me performing or me living up to some standard. It's a lot more about coming under the presence of the Lord who's faithful when I'm faithless, who loves me when I've walked away and lived my own lifestyle. And so the thing that I want to deal with with people at first is come into God's presence with faith. And that's why when you start off in prayer, it's so important. That's why I love that quote that Bill Johnson makes. You know, if I've got 10 minutes to pray, I'm going to spend seven out of the 10 minutes in worship because I can do a lot of praying in three minutes if I'm in the attitude of faith and I know who God is. When I come in thinking about me and the things I've failed in, uh, my prayers are going to be prayers of unbelief. They're going to be prayers of guilt and shame they're not going to be prayers of faith. And so that's where I really want to start with people is um, get into a place of faith, look at the goodness of God, you know, read the Psalms out loud, you know, come with a realization of the finished work of what Jesus has done for you. And then your prayers become a lot less performative because now you're not trying to get on God's good side. You're already on God's good side. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so when you come into prayer in that place, then we can start to implement some of the forms of prayer, the disciplines around prayer, the practices of prayer. But I want you to be in a place where 
you actually know God's heart towards you and that empowers you to pray. A hundred percent agree because one of the, the most helpful rhythms of prayer that I have in the last couple of years has just been pulling my acoustic guitar out in the morning and just starting with like some old school 90s worship songs. And They're the most anointed. I'm telling the, you, the 90s I, ones are the most anointed. I mean, they, they, they've stuck with me now for, for decades. So, it, but I find that what that does is it, like you said, it, it positions my heart in a way that I am more focused on who God is rather than my complaints or my frustrations or the things that just won't stop, you know, circling my mind. Not that I can't get to that stuff because I think God wants to hear that, but you're right. You come into it with a different posture when you enter in with worship or even yeah. I, I've never been much of like a gratitude journaler, but I started doing that this year and that's helped me as well. Just to like, mm -hmm. once again, come to God with all the good things that he has done for me before yep. I ask him to do new things for me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge key that I think, and you've got to figure out how you tap into that. Because mm -hmm. for me, you know, there's a lot of things on my list that I'm believing God for that I haven't experienced yet, praying into problems and circumstances. And yet I found that it's so easy when I'm listing those things off to forget and God has done so much in my life. Mm -hmm. He has been so faithful up until this point. And one of the things that helps me is, you know, we we have an incredible backyard with a garden and, you know, a walkway. And, um, you know, we prayed for this home for years and believe God for this place. And the first house that we lived in was nothing close to this. It was a duplex. And, Yet here we are now with really what I consider to be a miracle home that God so divinely gave to us. And when I get back there and I just walk around and I pray, it's really difficult for me to pray out of frustration because I'm looking at the tangible faithfulness of God. And yeah. I think we've got to get in the habit of doing that, whether that's looking at your children that you prayed for for years and are finally in front of you or the job that you're in that isn't perfect, but is something that you get to do because right. you know God has empowered you to step into that. There's so many things that we can look at that are tangible signs of God's faithfulness right. that help us in our prayers remember that God did it before. And if he did it before, he's gonna do it again. And sometimes looking at that thing reminds me, I prayed for something else and God gave me something so much better that I didn't know that I needed. So mm -hmm. that in my prayers, I stopped clinging to a picture and I start clinging to his promise, the person of Jesus, knowing that he will order my steps and align my life the best way he knows how. Speaking of that, like, you know, not clinging to a certain picture of what it has to look like. Uh, I've talked a lot of this podcast when the book came out, This Dream Is Not For You, about how to surrender your dreams to God when you get a no instead of a yes and how to posture your life in a position of yes. How do you know, or how have you in your own life had to wrestle with, when do you keep persevering in prayer for something? And when do you say, okay, I think God is redirecting me to a different dream or to a different answer to this prayer than what I, what I thought? How do you know when to keep knocking and when to say, okay, God, I, I accept that you have a different answer for me. 
Yeah, I think that is like the key question, right? And I think that's mm-hmm. what keeps a lot of us from praying is because we don't know, is this God's will for my life? You know, does this, the fact that this thing isn't panning out mean that I'm praying against God's will? And that's a really understandable struggle that we all walk through. And I don't know that there is a solution to that tension. I think we're always going to live in that tension. I think there are some things, and I talk about this in the book, that are definite prayers that we can pray because when we read the scriptures, we know God's character. And so regardless of the outcome, my job is not the outcome. My job is obedience. And so in the process, I'm required. The Bible says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Do I see every single person that's sick get healed? No, but the Bible tells me to pray for them. And so my job is obedience and I'm going to pray with faith every single time. I'm going to believe that God is a healer and that he desires to heal. And yet, do we experience that every single time? No, just like we don't experience every single person that we witness to get saved. We want every, the Bible says God wants all to come to the knowledge of salvation that none may perish. Do all come to the knowledge of salvation? No, that doesn't mean that we that we stop praying hmm. and we stop sharing our faith. And so, you know, as a culture, we're so afraid of rejection that we interpret resistance as rejection. And so sure. anytime we face a wall, we think that means that we're doing something wrong or, you know, we're going to look foolish. And I just have to cling to the scriptures that say, those who call on the name of the Lord will not be put to shame. And so in the areas of our lives where we're praying into something that we don't know, is this God's truly, you know, is his his is this his will for my life? Is this his true purpose? Um, I just go back to what I know. I'm going to pray with faith, just like a child, you know, with expectation that their parent is going to give them good gifts and provide for them. I'm going to ask God for the things that are in my heart. I'm also going to create space for God to speak to me and to realign my heart if things need to change. And so, I mean, I bring up this house as an example because I shared it before there was a house that we put an offer on that we really wanted before God gave us this home. And we thought that was the one. And, you know, we were so disappointed when it didn't pan out. And yet this house significantly better than the one that we put an offer on, significantly more in alignment with the things that we were looking for to be able to host people in our church, to have people over, to love on them, to care for them, to pastor them. We didn't know that because we only see the story in the immediate and in the past, but God sees it from the end to the beginning. And so I'd say, don't let it discourage you from asking with faith. Don't let it discourage you from stepping out in faith. But if God realigns you and recalibrates you, just know that he's a good father and he's doing it because he loves you, not because he's some mean tyrant that wants to put you in your place. And you know, God's just not like that. And so um, I think that encourages me to be childlike in my faith, but then to not be childish when things don't go my way. I wanna let you know, if there's a dream in your heart that you want to step into, but maybe you're paralyzed because you're afraid you're going to fail, I wanna invite you to download my free prayer guide called Discover God's Dream for Your Life, 10 Questions to Clarify Where God is Leading and How to Take the Next Step. And you can get that free download at wayjoy.com slash 10 questions. That's the number 10. wadejoy.com slash 10 questions. So I love what you said about resistance versus rejection. I'm curious, what is the resistance that you're running up against right now in your own prayer life? Yeah, I think to be 
you know, completely transparent as a pastor, prayer is a bit of a tricky thing because I have to pray <laughs> as my job, um, pray for people, pray to get a message. I got to preach on Sunday. I got a lead staff meeting on Monday. I got a podcast on Tuesday. I got communications training on Tuesday night. I got to, you know, there's just so many things that prayer can become just a function to get things done instead of fellowship with God to live out of the overflow. And I know we talk about that, you know, it's such a trendy thing to say, you, know, you want to live out of the overflow, but that's a lot easier to say than it is to do, especially when ministry is your full-time job. But I know that there are people watching this that aren't in ministry and prayer can still feel like a function, like something I've got to do and check off. And so I think for me, the struggle, the struggle often is maintaining fellowship in prayer instead of falling into the functionality of prayer. Am I really making room to just be with God? You know, I'm a worshiper at heart and I know that my heart is getting cold the less time I'm spending in worship. And I'm just going to be honest, you know, worship now, you mentioned the 90s worship songs. I think there's a reason why we revert back to the 90s worship songs because there was something so vertical about those songs that it was just about, you know, we used to sing about the holiness of God. And we used to mm -hmm. sing a song called holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. You know, the, these things that lyrics that really drew us into a place of fellowship with Jesus. And that's where my heart becomes warm. It's where I hear his voice. It's where I recognize my sin. It's where God convicts me and speaks to me. And, and so I think my struggle can be, how do I make room for that fellowship? in the midst of the busyness of ministry? How do I fight for that time with the Lord where it's not pretty? You know, I'm a perfectionist. And if my voice isn't, you know, at its peak ability, if I don't like the way it sounds, if the vibe of the room isn't great, those can be hindrances for me to enter into that place of just vulnerability with God and, you know, one-on-one -on -one connection with Him. And so I have to fight for that every day. And Paul says this, you know, work hard to enter into that rest. I think that that is something that we really need to actively pursue in our prayer life is I'm going to, I'm going to wrestle really hard to make sure that intimacy and connection with Jesus is my top priority. And so as a church leader, that's, that's the thing that I'm struggling with in my prayer life constantly and I have to fight for. I was really hoping you were going to go into a nineties medley Come uh, on, I got the there. keyboard right there. We can do it. <laughs> uh, you said something in a, in a sermon recently that really struck me. You said, sometimes we can tend to idolize the altar. Uh, do you remember saying that? Yeah. And then help unpack that because I think there was something really powerful that you were, you were a point you were trying to make there. Yeah, I think we you know, regardless of what denomination you grew up in, you know, I, I grew up in a very traditional church setting. And then I got immersed into the Pentecostal denomination in my teen years. And so I kind of have both worlds, you know? Um, and one thing that I love about the Pentecostal movement is this passion to pray for people, lay hands, get into the altar, really believe God. Um, but I think the downfall with that is that we have created a culture where I have to have someone minister to me 
to feel like I'm going to get breakthrough in my life and I don't ever develop my own prayer connection with the Lord. So now I'm relying on other people's relationship with God to get somewhere with God. And there's nothing more detrimental to your faith journey development than refusing to learn how to get with God on your own and wrestle with the Lord in places of isolation and what we feel is loneliness, but sometimes is really aloneness. God teaching us how to get away with him and to be with him. And I'm not against prayer ministry. I I love prayer ministry. Pray for me. Um, I love it. But at the end of the day, my hope is not in somebody else just praying for me uh, to get somewhere with God. My hope is in my connection that the Holy Spirit's in me and that I can cry out to God anytime and he hears me. And so it's really easy to ask people to pray for you. Um, you know, when you're going through something, it's not so easy to press in in prayer on your own and to wrestle with God and to struggle with scripture and to allow God to do a deeper work in us. And so I think that that's what I was trying to get at there. Once again, not discouraging altar ministry, but um, we can't obsess and idolize over every Sunday. I'm going to wait till I can go to the altar and get prayed for. And that's going to be the solution to my problems. No, no. If you do that, you have an anemic spiritual life. You are not developing the immune system on your own to really fight off the things, the temptations, the struggles, you know, when nobody else is around you. And um, that's, that's a weak spiritual life and that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to be a prayer warrior. Yeah. It's, it's a both and not an either or, uh, you know, I told you I was going to bring up CrossFit, uh, (laughs) and find a way to connect it to prayer. So I, I find that I pray more when I exercise more, Mm -hmm. that there is a correlation between my spiritual disciplines and my fear uh, my physical disciplines is, do you see the same thing in your own life? Because I think we can compartmentalize our life a lot of times into here's the, the spiritual me, here's the physical me, here's the work me, the home me. How does even like your physical discipline with CrossFit impact your prayer life or does it? Am I just reaching there? No, no, it definitely does. And I, you know, the Bible talks about it, right? Like physical discipline is beneficial. Obviously spiritual discipline is better. Um, but I think that there's something specifically with CrossFit. I've been working out for a long time, but only been doing CrossFit for the past three years. And CrossFit's different than going to like the Globo gym um, or working out at your house because, you know, when I would go to like a regular Globo gym, I'd have a lot of time in between sets to think and process. Um, at CrossFit, you're not thinking you're dying and you're trying to just like survive. <laughs> and it is really, honestly, sometimes a spiritual practice for me to just put everything out of my mind for about an hour a day and focus on something else, which I really do appreciate and need to rest as a, as a leader. But I do think the, the thing about CrossFit that I love is, you know, every day it's something hard that I don't necessarily want to do. And I am following programming that's written by somebody else. I'm being told how to do it and and what to do. And it's really a form of submission and discipline that leads and yields results um, that I want to see in my body. And I think that prayer and spiritual discipline is the same. And what I love about the correlation between the two is that just because 
I don't want to do something today doesn't make me a bad person or that I just want to quit CrossFit or I don't care about my physical health. It's just that sometimes like I'm not feeling it. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I'm weary. Sometimes I'm bored, whatever. And yet I, I put my body into a position where it has to submit and I do the hard thing. And as a result of that, I feel better and I feel accomplished. And that is a really good picture of what spiritual discipline looks like. That sometimes you don't want to do it. And I think we feel guilty that oh, today I don't want to read my Bible or today I don't want to pray. And then that makes you human. That just makes you a normal person. And so, but when you allow those feelings to dictate your decisions is where you get into trouble. And so being willing to submit yourself to the programming, submit yourself to the process, say, you know, I'm going to do it even when it's hard, even when I don't feel it, that's faith. And mm-hmm. you just exercise, you know, spiritual discipline that's leading to spiritual fruit that you may not see in the moment, but you will see it. It's going to happen. You know, the Bible says, you know, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. You will see it. Even if it, the addition comes later, um, you're going to yield results in that. And so I think there's a huge correlation between the physical exertion and discipline and spiritual discipline for sure. Whenever I see you post CrossFit stuff, it makes me feel like the workouts I'm doing are for little kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you what, I feel like a kid. That's why I love CrossFit so much is because I feel like I get to play every day. Like I'm swinging from the monkey bars, I'm climbing ropes, I'm jumping over things. And it's like, I get to play, you know, for an hour a day. So I, I feel like a kid too. Yeah. I don't know if my 47 year old uh, joints can handle all that. <laughs> hey, no. listen, there's a guy at my gym. He's he's in his seventies. That guy, he, he climbs a rope all the way to the 15 foot ceiling. He can do it. So I believe you got it in you, man. All right. I receive, I receive it as a word from the Lord. Let's go. <laughs> As we close the conversation, ultimately, I'd love for you to pray for people listening. Yeah. Uh, but is there anything else that you want to make sure that you communicate about prayer? I know you're passionate about it. You give a great picture of how being a prayer warrior isn't just for the missionary. It's not just for our very holy grandmothers. It's like for all of us right now, we can all be yeah. a prayer warrior. Yeah. What, what else would you have to say before, before we end the conversation? Yeah, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. We were talking about the book and they asked me, what would you say is the result of a prayerless life? You know, like what happens when you don't pray? We think that prayer, yeah, it's reserved for the pastor. It's reserved for the spiritual leader, for the person that's, you know, that's their thing. But why, why do I need to pray? And, you know, I share this story in the book, but a few months ago, about a year ago, actually, my wife and I, we walked through a situation um, in business. My wife comes from the business world. And so we were a part of a a few businesses that were doing really well. And then COVID happened and everything went crazy. And it was a really huge hit on our business throughout those years. And so we finally got it to a place where we were able to exit the business after COVID had finally kind of subsided, but we exited the business at a pretty severe loss. And, um, you know, we both serve in ministry. We don't make a ton of money. Um, but we knew that the most strategic decision was to get out, even if it was going to incur some debt. And so we left the business and, you know, we just had this massive financial debt over our heads. And there's something about finances that 
stresses me out unlike anything else in my life. I, I can believe God for other things, but when it comes to money, um, there's this control thing in me that that kind of rises up. And I remember as we were combing through the budget, you know, we got to that place where I'm sure so many of you can relate. It's like, we can't cut anything else out. Everything mm-hmm. is essential here. It's now just, I need to bring more money in. And I don't know how to do that because, you know, I work at a church and sure, could I, you know, do some new things? Could I take another job? You know, and we started having these conversations. Does she need to take a different job? Do I need to take a second job? You know, do I need to start traveling more? And, you know, we spent two days combing through the budget and looking through these details and trying to think up strategies to solve this problem. And I remember two days in, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Hey, you haven't asked me about this yet. And it's so funny because there are things that I have no problem running to the presence of God for. But for some reason, this one thing mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to solve in my own strength and with my own strategy. And so I repented and I said, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take some time to pray. And so we decided let's go on a fast for the week and let's just seek the Lord and ask him. So we stopped planning and we started praying. And that's not, that's not an encouragement for you to be irresponsible. Uh, I believe in being responsible and taking control of the things you have control over. But sometimes God has to remind us that he's the one that truly is in control. And what seems like a massive number for me is such a small number for God. Hmm. And so we began to pray and I'm not exaggerating within a week's time, two checks came in the mail that not only covered the debt that we owed, but brought more money into our savings account than we had before this whole situation went down. It was so supernatural. We had no idea where these checks were coming from. Things that like just we didn't know was out there. And yet in a week's time of prayer, God brought those things in. And so you ask me, like, what is the product of a prayerless life? You are missing out on miracles that God wants to provide for you but because you insist on trying to do it in your own strength and through your own strategy, you are robbing yourself from supernatural blessings that God has for you, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your business, your career, your family, your marriage, God has a solution to that problem. And what seems like such a big problem for you, it's not big for God. And so What I would encourage any person, whether you're in business, whether you're in ministry, whether you're in a marriage, whether you have kids, like we need Christians who know how to pray because we need answers that come from God. And I just want to challenge you to rethink your life and reevaluate the story and the testimony of your life. When people look at your life, can they say only God was able to accomplish that? Or could they attribute that to your strength and to your strategy and to your wisdom? There's a lot of things that I can accomplish in my own strength. God has given me a lot of talents and abilities, and I'm grateful for those things. And I use those things. But at the end of my life, I don't want the testimony to be, wow, Jared was really great. He did this. I want it to be, there's no way he could have accomplished that without the presence of the Lord. And so that's what I would really challenge you to think about in your prayer life. You know, you don't have to live a normal life. You can have a supernatural story that's written by God, but it comes from the place of prayer. Pastor, leader, you don't have to have a ministry that's just attributed to the church trends and the growth strategies that people put out online. 
Like you can have a supernatural ministry, whether that's seen or known by thousands, or you have a significant impact in your community with your people, it's going to happen through prayer. And when we start to realize that there is so much more that God has in store for us, one of my favorite scriptures, God will do immeasurably more than you can ask, think, or imagine. I want that to be the story of my life. I want that to be the story of your business. I want that to be the story of your family and your marriage. And so I would just encourage you, start to pray. Well, how do I pray? Just do it. Just start doing it. You don't get better at prayer by relearning how to pray. Those are great things. And you know that's why I wrote the book. But the whole purpose of the book is that at the end of each chapter, whatever form of prayer I give you, there's a practical application for you to begin praying right now. And so hopefully that encourages you to know that God has so much more in store for your life. And I, I can't wait to hear the testimonies of it. I love that. Would you mind closing out and just praying for the people listening? Yeah, absolutely. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, for your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, you are so kind and so generous. God, I, as I just replay the seasons of my life, Lord, I see you in every single one. And I know that those who are listening right now God, as they reevaluate their stories, they would realize that you are in every single chapter, God, that you've worked everything out to their good and to your glory. And God, I pray that as we remember the good things you've done for us, God, that that would reaffirm our faith for the future. I pray for those who are listening right now, God, who are struggling in prayer, just wanting to step out in prayer. Would you anoint them and give them the grace to seek after you, God, to press into your presence, to value the place of prayer amongst everything else in their lives, above everything else in their lives. Father, I pray right now for those who are praying, but just in a bit of a mundane, monotonous pit. God, I pray that you would reignite the fire in their hearts, God, for your presence, for your word. God, I pray that even as they learn about the different forms of prayer, the prayer of repentance, praying the word of God, praying in the spirit, praying through worship and praying through intercession. God, I pray that there would be a fresh excitement in their hearts towards this place of prayer. God, I pray for those who are experienced in this and God, who are just longing to make an impact. God, I pray that scripture over them that commands us to not grow weary in well-doing. Father, I pray that you would give us faith to see on the other side of eternity what our prayers here on earth are accomplishing. God, would you raise up prayer warriors in every sphere of influence? God, I pray that the pastor that's listening to this right now would remember that the power to their ministry comes from prayer, not promotion, not public platforms, not strategies. God, from your spirit. God, I pray for every person, the business person, the wife, the husband, the friend, the leader, the coworker, the artist, the entertainer. God, that they would remember and it's not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So God, would you anoint us to be people of prayer? And God, will we change the world by your spirit so that we can give you glory and point people to Jesus? That's what this is all about. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Jared. I think this conversation not only is going to encourage the people listening, but it really was encouraging to me. And and you know, if you're listening to this, you probably aren't aware that there were tons of technical difficulties that we were having to navigate during this interview. 
nothing can stop <laughs> no, us. No, but y'all. I think it really was because I needed to hear this. I needed to be reminded of this. And I think so did so many other people um, listening. So thank you for your ministry, your passion for prayer. How can people get the book? How can they continue to, to learn from you and your ministry? Yeah, for sure. So um, the book is available on Amazon. You got paperback or hardcover copy. Uh, there's a Kindle version, which um, I'm going to make sure today is up there and working. Um, I'm also working on the audio version of the book. And so that'll be out in the next few months as well. Um, you can follow our ministry. All our sermons and uh, messages are on YouTube. If you just search E2 Church, and then you can follow me on Instagram, Jared C-A-L-S. Um, and we'd love to connect with you on there or TikTok. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And if you've got, if you've read the book or if it's, you know, made an impact in your life, a review on Amazon would be a huge blessing just to get the message out there. And that uh, you can shoot me a DM and let me know what God's speaking to you. It would be a huge encouragement to me as well. Awesome. Make sure you get the book and yes, leave a review. I know that those things, they matter. They're important. Uh, But thank you again, Jared. Uh, This has been a great time for me. And thank you everyone for watching Dreamers and Disciples. If this episode was helpful for you, then please share it with somebody that would encourage them uh, and leave a review for the podcast or comment on YouTube. I'd love to hear what God spoke to you through this. We'll see you back here next week for more. Mm